What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. The Struts rocked the 930 Club in Washington, D.C. on Sunday, followed by the brand new venue, The Atlantis, on July 23rd. I spoke to eccentric frontman Luke Spiller about the band's career, from hit songs like Could Have Been Me to helping open D.C.'s The Anthem with Foo Fighters in 2017. Luke Spiller, hey, thank you so much for joining us on WTOP in D.C. Hello, it's great to be here talking with you. We're talking to the amazing frontman of the Struts, awesome band, because you're coming for a sold-out show at 9.30 Club on Sunday, July 16th, but then you're also uh, helping open the the brand new uh, venue, The Atlantis in D.C. on July 23rd, so two chances for folks to see you. Um, speaking of opening venues, I actually saw the Struts open uh, with the Foo Fighters. You all helped open the anthem uh, in 2017, and you told the crowd that it was your most important gig to date. Me- memories of that really fast. Do you remember opening that venue? I do, actually, yeah. It- it's funny. Um, so much of our relationship with the Foo's, you, you know, really started uh, in sort of like the D.C. area. Like I- like Dave Grohl, um after I'd met Taylor uh, in Napa for a festival, Bottle Rock, um, he must have told Dave about us, and, and Dave actually came to see us at 9.30, which then led us to getting the opportunity to open up for them for the best part of the year, which and that, that show included. Um, but yeah, I think we were the first official sort of rock band to, to take the stage. Um, so it was a really, really cool moment for us, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right. I think because uh, right before you all, you were you and Foo Fighters were billed, but there was a special like opening gig that wasn't a rock band. I'm trying to remember who it was. Trouble Funk, I think. DC Go-Go Band. So yeah, but then yeah, that would have made you the first rock band because you, you were on there before for the Foo Fighters. So you'll have a piece of DC history with that. That's awesome. Um, so apparently you all, the stress just like opening new venues. So what do you know about opening this new club, the Atlantis? It's a replica of the old 930 club before they moved to the new venue where it sounds like where the Foo Fighters originally found you guys. Uh, but, uh, yeah, what do you, what do you know about the new venue? Are you excited to kick off another one just like you did the Anthem? <laughs> I mean, what do I know about the venue specifically? Um, <clears throat> you know, the truth be told, I'm, I'm probably the worst member out of all four of us to, to, <laughs> to quiz me on such facts. I, I'm very much of the nature of, I wake up, I turn up, um, I put on the show. I, truth be told, 90% of the time, I really don't have an idea where I am. Um, <laughs> Even I, right I, now. <laughs> honestly, I wouldn't be, yeah, I, I, I can't really actually tell you. I'm, I'm in some hotel in the middle of nowhere and I, I do have my tour manager write out exactly where I am on stage every night on my set list, proper spinal tap um, <laughs> you know, moments. Uh, yeah. But 
you know, I look, if it means cutting the ribbon or uh, saying a small speech to commemorate, you know, the opening of a venue or, of course, playing and singing, then I'm always down. So if anyone's listening and they have a, uh, a, a new supermarket or a hospital or music venue they'd like me to open up, then I'm all ears, you know? <laughs> I love it. I love it. The Foo Fighters actually opened the Atlantis a couple of weeks ago, so it's not brand spanking new like the last time you guys did it with them, but it's still pretty new. Um, but yes, ribbon cuttings and not knowing where you are. Life of a rock star, right? <laughs> uh, well, remind our listeners sort of, you know, our, our fans uh, that love to hear sort of your, your origin story. I knew you grew up in, in Bristol, England, right? Uh, what sort of sparked you at a young age? Like who are your rock idols or, or otherwise music, music icons growing up that said uh, that made you say, I want to do this? I didn't really get into, quote, sort of rock, rock music until my mid teens. And before that, it was. A lot of Michael Jackson, of course, the Jacksons. And then from that, I discovered everything that they were doing on the Motown label. And then I really got into that genre, um, including James Brown as well, who I knew was a big influence on on Michael and the Jacksons. So that was kind of like my my first sort of obsession. And then, yeah, and then I sort of, discovered a, a lot of rock music in, in my early mid-teens and I just had this massive fascination with all of the bands that had you know come before I mean at the time Britain was having a really great surge of really great rock music and a lot of the bands are still around today uh, including the Libertines and Arctic Monkeys and Franz Ferdinand and it was this really great uh indie kind of scene yeah but once i discovered queen and acdc and led zeppelin and everyone else it, it was kind of game over for me i just then became completely obsessed and just started to go down to the record shops in bristol and and i i remember specifically knowing of queen and i'd heard like the greatest hits for for example but i made a conscious effort to buy their discography in order and I would take the first album and I would soak it up and then I'd go back a week later I'd get the second album and I did that with a huge amount of groups including the Stones and the Beatles etc um, and it's just yeah they just uh, held my attention ever since. Well, I mean, you can, having seen you, you know, live in concert, I mean, you can sort of see those Freddie Mercury or Mick Jagger, you know, the influences, if you will. I mean, you're your own thing, obviously. You've 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 done a really cool sort of glam rock, badass, fun, strutting presentation. Uh, but you can tell you're you're one of the 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 biggest you know showman uh, rockers uh, that I can think of going right now. So mad props for that. How did didn't you meet your guitarist Adam Slack as a teenager? Like I want to know. Probably it's probably a story you've told a million times. But if you want to just do the quick abridged version of how the struts actually formed there in Derby in what 2012, I guess. Yeah, well, the, the story is quite simple and it is a little bit um, uh, unique where me and Adam didn't grow up in the same place. We, we were, you know, we sort of led very two separate lives, uh, but we had a mutual um, friendship with what would be our manager at the time. And my, my school band had broken up and everybody was going to university. 
I was working as a cleaner and doing sort of like odd jobs just to sort of get by. And what do you mean? Sorry, what do you mean by a cleaner? I was I was a cleaner at a rest home. Um, oh, okay. I, I, I'd tidy rooms and clean toilets, not very well, I might add, but um, just enough to sort of pay rent and, and live and, and play shows on the weekend with, with my high school band. Right. Um, and yeah, and then that high school band kind of broke up and I was actually going to go off and do drama school and head to London. I had sort of like this, this sort of dream of, of pursuing that and there was obviously there was a myspace page and on that myspace page of my old band there was a, a recording that we did of a song called where did she go and this guy who had later become my manager sort of discovered the page and he, he heard the song and he was really intrigued by it ended up messaging me asking me about you know, am I still interested in pursuing a career in music and who wrote this song? And I explained to him that I wrote it and with um, a friend, etc. And he said, hmm, you know, this is this is really kind of promising. Um, you know, what kind of group would you sort of envision being? And I sort of, you know, told him basically, like, in a nutshell, what the struts would later become. And he he said, okay, well, I have... I've been talking with this guy, Adam, who has been, you know, in sort of various bands up in, up in Derby and, you know, would you be up for meeting him and, and possibly writing a couple of songs? And I was like, yeah, okay. Um, so I, I went up to Derby and then sort of like met him and, um, and yeah, we kind of like wrote a couple of songs with each other. And um, the, the funny thing is he, Adam then had the opportunity to become a singer himself um, in sort of like a band that he was kind of in with a couple of friends from his old school band. So shortly after our introduction, he then swanned off and, and decided to take that route. And then it didn't quite work out. And then he ended up calling me, begging me to to, to work with, with him again. And, and the rest is history. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, I, I had no idea that someone hit you up on MySpace, slid into your, well, I don't know if you call it sliding into your DMs back then, but but more or less, that's amazing. Were you the struts at the MySpace time or was that after someone saw you strutting on stage and then you coined the name? No, so we actually, me and Ads, we were struggling for, for a name for quite some time. And we were putting together a demo of three songs. Uh, one of them was Where Did She Go, where we re-recorded it. And we didn't have the rest of the members. So we we had a, a few great session players come in and help us sort of like record the songs that we had uh, finished. And in those rehearsals, it was our manager at the time that sort of said, you know, you should be called The Struts because, you know, Luke, you, you strut around quite a lot. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's that's actually really, really good. Um How is this not taken already? <laughs> well, yeah, I was convinced it was already taken. And the weird thing is, is that after sort of researching to see if it was still available, of course it was, but there was a punk band in Bristol called The Struts mm. years and years ago in I think it was the 80s. 
but they had broken up. I don't think they'd lasted very long. But I just thought that was quite bizarre coincidence. Um, Such a cool name. uh, Yeah, I know. It's 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 great. I mean, it is quite funny. It's um, it's a it's a double-edged sword. It's a brilliant name, but it's also if you say it in certain countries or certain parts of the world, a lot of people assume that I'm a member of the Strokes, which is quite funny. Oh, Um, I never thought about that. Yeah, it's around the same time, I guess. So there's a lot of. there's been a lot of mistaken identity that I've even arrived at some airports with um, fans sort of, well, mums of fans with pictures of Julian Casablanca. And she's like, Oh, my daughter loves your band. And I'm like, yeah, that's not me, love. I'm the struts, not the strokes. But other than that, it's, it's great. That's an album title struts, not strokes. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, tell me real quick about catch our listeners up on, on those early, like you did some like EPs to start, like kiss this. Didn't you do like Royals, a cover of Lord. And then there was a, the other EP. Have you heard, do you think finally back to those early days compared to the studio stuff or, or, um, or do you kind of, can you, is it hard to listen back and say like, Oh, I want to fix this, that, you know what I mean? Like how is it looking back at the EP days? I mean, for the most part, it all still holds up pretty well. Um, And I mean, talking about the Lord cover, for instance, that's just been such a bizarre thing where we, gosh, we recorded that like 10 years ago, I think Mm. when she first released the song. And we just, we just threw this, like this video together with my friend um, before a show that we did in London on this terribly miserable London uh, rainy day. And, you know, we sort of put it up and sort of thought nothing of it. And then like, what, four weeks ago, it just blew up on TikTok. And it was just like, what? what? So bizarre. Um, but those those early EPs, I think, you know, I, I'm still proud of them. They, they still uh, contain songs that we play literally to you know on this tour for instance and and the fans still love it and i mean could have been me was also written and recorded 10 years ago and it's just the song that keeps giving where whether it's like being used in commercials over here or halsey covering it for the soundtrack of sing 2 it's just been it's been wild you know it's just a lot of these songs have really stood the test of time they really have. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You mentioned could have been me. Uh, it was off that debut studio album in 2014. Everybody wants, I guess it was Virgin EMI, the label at that point. Um, talk about uh, who wrote it. What was the inspiration? Like to me, it's it's one of those great, like, don't live life with regret songs, you know, like, you know, I, I want to live better days, never look back and say it could have been me. Um, is that what you were feeling at the time? Is that what just come spilling out of you? No pun intended. Yeah, absolutely. It was, um, it was written at a time of real frustration where you mentioned that previous label. I mean, what had happened was we was on a label for a very short time, um, which basically had the plug pulled out of it. And we were labelless and we ended up being inherited by um, the other label who didn't really particularly know either what to do with us or have any sort of real enthusiasm, which, you know, it's just the way it goes. It's the music business. It's, it's a story that's been told a million times. Um, and upon doing so within that situation, there was just, just this constant uh, mantra of just like, oh, I, I just don't think that, Luke, you should be wearing this kind of stuff. I don't think the band should be sort of sounding like this. I don't think it, you know, we, we want you to be more like this. And what was basically happening at the time? And I remember we went into the studio, me and Ads, with um, with uh, our, our sort of production team that we were working with. Red Triangle and another writer called Josh Wilkinson and I just sort of sat there and I was just you know I was a lot younger at the time and a lot more uh angry and fired up and I was just bitching and bitching like I can't believe like this and why can't people just appreciate it and could have been me was just basically a direct response to all of like the naysayers and the suits um that were kind of surrounding us at that time basically telling us to change and telling us to be more relevant, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it, it became like a real anthem of um, staying unique and being true to yourself, uh, which also simultaneously managed to carry out like a, a great universal message, which people really still love to this day. Oh, it's an it's an all timer song for me. I love that song. Um, and, and all a lot of your stuff. Well, uh, just moving chronologically, I'll try to cut you loose here in a few minutes. You've been generous, but we got to hit Young and Dangerous really quick because I know you jumped over to Interscope Records for that. What was the idea behind doing the opening track, Body Talks, and then getting to do it again, tag it on the end with the final track uh, with that Kesha remix? Uh, what was what was it like recording both of those? Yeah, well, it's funny because the two versions weren't actually intended to be on the record. Um, that, that was something that was heavily suggested um, to me. <laughs> the, the album was meant to finish on Ashes Part 2. And and it just, I just think, it, again, it being the music trade, it was just sort of like one of those things where everyone was like, well, you know, you've got this this feature and 
it's doing really, really well. It, it nothing to do with Kesha or her camp whatsoever. It was, it was, um, it was more of my camp, sort of like forcing, forcing me to add that at the end. But it's such a great experience, and and Kesha's brilliant, and had a lot of fun in the studio with her, sort of going back and forth on the vocal mic, and those vocals were were done in the same room with each other, and you can sort of like really hear the energy and chemistry and. That whole album was a real challenge. We were promoting the first one still. We were touring relentlessly. Any time off that we had was pretty much in the studio making demos for that record. But I'm really proud of that one and how it came out. Again, you know, there's always parts of me that were that listen to it now and be like, oh, that could have been better. This could have been better. But on the whole, it's I'm proud of it. Sure, absolutely. Well, you could say that about anything, but that that's any good artist is going to be a perfectionist like that. In the end, you got to be like, all right, it's don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good or whatever that phrase. Is. Uh, well, bringing us full circle, then I guess Strange Days that that catches us chronologically up. Uh, that was the most recent one, I guess. Uh, was that a, was that written prior to the pandemic, or was that anything recorded during? No, we actually had a whole bunch of material that was um going to be the third record, but. We, we we quickly realized that we weren't going to be able to tour for quite a while. And the plan was that we were going to sort of all bring a whole bunch of ideas, set the previous work aside. And very quickly, we were only meant to do like two to three songs. We were thinking about some sort of like lockdown LP or EP, sorry. Yeah. And after about four days, we had like six songs and we were like, bloody hell, this is really sort of, there's an energy here. And there's sort of like, there's there's just something in this process of us working. So by the time seven days had passed, we recorded nine original songs and we'd covered one song. And we were like, wow, we have like a full, you know, record here. Yeah. And we decided to sort of uh, have those songs that were written in that time and release them just to sort of reflect that specific moment in time. And yeah, I mean, there's, it's, it's a very weird, unique album. There's it. I don't think we quite think of it as a record. It's really bizarre because it was done in such strange circumstances and nobody was doing anything. Hence why we were able to sort of like have all of these features and we wanted to make it into a really sort of, um, a unique record. Um, I know I've used that word quite a few times, but it, that's the only way to describe it. Um, <laughs> it has all these people on it. It's essentially a live album with, you know, a lot of the first takes vocally. Um, and it was a very instinctual sort of way of writing. Um, but all of the previous songs that we had been working on at the end of 2019 towards, uh, well, approaching the pandemic, were sort of like held to one side and some of them were revisited like falling with me for instance that was something that we did at the end of 2019 and then there's a few things that have made it onto this new record which is coming out in november which i think is just going to blow people's minds yeah t plug that real quick before we go what's the new one coming out in november i mean i know you did the what was it a couple months ago in february 2023 you did unplugged at east west but this is a not a live album coming out that you're teasing this is this fall it's going to be uh the fourth studio album right 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we we had amazing time recording between Nashville and LA. It features 11 songs. Uh, the the title of the record is pretty vicious, and it's just got some amazing, amazing material on it. I I think it's it's going to be a record that showcases all of the best attributes of the band. Um, it's the closest sounding thing to us live that I think people are going to hear. Um, it. Yeah, the songs are just brilliant. It flows amazingly. It's got tons of guitars in it. Actually, has loads of solos in it, to be honest. <laughs> um, and yeah, just some real cracking songs that I think people are going to love. And the first single, Too Good at Raising Hell, is just going down an absolute storm when we're playing it live at the moment. And uh, people are anxious to, to hear it. And I'm, I'm excited to, to show it. All right, so it's called Pretty Vicious, and it's coming out in November. And uh, I assume we'll get to hear some of the songs from that live if our folks come out to see you in the Struts at 930 Club on July 16th and the Atlantis on July 23rd here in D.C. Um, I guess just like final seconds, like uh, I like bringing it full circle. You know, um, you sort of grew up, you know, you got turned on to the whole music biz by watching, you know, Freddie Mercury. And suddenly you're getting his, you know, costume designer designing your stuff. And that you were even in that BBC documentary of the pretty things with with that. Uh, you were admiring Mick Jagger and you got to open for the Stones in Paris. I mean, like, do you I mean, I know you have a lot of career left, but like, do you even have a minute to kind of sit back and be like, wow, like I'm getting to like be tied to my music idols in this way. Like that's got to be surreal. Yeah, it is honestly amazing. And, and I do sort of have these moments when my head hits the pillow before I sleep. And sometimes I get these really great sort of flashes of, of things that I've done in the past. And yeah, sometimes it can be a little bit like overwhelming, but you know, no complaints here. It's, um, it's all great fuel to sort of stay excited. And I just want more and more and more and more. And uh, I mean, for instance, I, I had the, the absolute privilege to play with Roger Taylor and Brian May at, at Wembley Stadium last year for Taylor Hawkins Memorial Concert. And mm. gosh, I mean, that was just incredible and such a, an amazing thing to be a part of. And I feel so lucky to be a part of that and, and, and honor my friend in that way. And it's just been a wild ride ever since. And, and I really feel that there's something in the air that this band and everyone around us has been waiting for, uh, for over 10 years. And I just feel like really now's our time. So I can't quite describe it, can't quite put my finger on it, but everything seems to feel a little bit different in the best of ways. So I'm very excited. Oh, well, we're excited to see you. And there's something in the air. I can't wait to see what that, you know, what that produces. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Hey, Luke Spiller. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, the struts are awesome. You're building quite the legacy so far. So everybody, I got it. I tell you, I've seen them live and you have to, too. You have to go see him at 930 Club on July 16th and the, the new Atlantis venue uh, on, on July 23rd. Uh, hey, thank you so much, Luke. This was fun. Thank you, mate. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. <laughs>